Oh, great God. Thank you for calling us as your people. Thank you for sending your Son to die on our behalf to receive the judgment, the punishment that our sin deserved. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you for sending your Spirit to dwell among your people, to empower us, to strengthen us, to be a people after your own heart. Thank you for calling us together as a family, as a church, to remind us week after week of your glorious work on our behalf so that we can build one another up and remind one another of the glorious power of our Savior. Oh God, help us to be a people who love as you love, who reflect the glorious gospel as we love one another in the world around us. Make us a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Oh God, fulfill your purpose in and through this church. Be glorified through our lives. Help us to run the race well. And then, Lord, on that final day, to hear from our glorious Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. To that end, help us as we consider your word this morning. Speak to us through your word. Make your word alive. Let it burn in our hearts and help us to be obedient to it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated and the five to eight-year-olds can go ahead and make their way out for their class. If I haven't met you, my name is Gene Emerson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Kingsway. It's a joy to be together. And I trust God is going to open our hearts afresh to His Word this morning. Uh, I know that He certainly has met me as we have worshipped Him together. Uh, Open up, if you would, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And as you're turning to your Bibles, let me let you know that a week from this coming Friday and Saturday, we have a special class, a class that I love to be a part of called Starting Point. Starting Point is our membership class. It's a class that the pastors teach because we want to get to know Every person that is considering membership here, because we want you to have the opportunity to get to know us, to talk about our vision, our mission, our purpose. But let me tell you specifically why I'm excited about this class. This class reflects our conviction that in a culture that's devoted to individualism, that Jesus is calling his people to be countercultural, to be a, a people of mission and a people of corporate love. You heard about it in the prophetic word this morning. God, God calls his people to, to, to show the world around us 
That there's something different about his people. God calls us to be a family, to care for one another, to build one another up. He calls us together to be equipped for a mission so that we'll be more than just the sum of our individual parts. I've seen again and again over the years as a pastor how people that are isolated are very, very seldom fruitful. But people that are connected together, that are building one another up, that are being equipped, can be incredibly fruitful for the kingdom of God. And on the last day, that's what's going to matter, folks. That we can look back and say that we've invested our lives together for something that is worthy, something bigger than ourselves. God calls us together for community. He calls us together to be fruitful. He calls us together to testify to the world around us that there's something distinct and different. One man said, called the local church the single best place on earth to start over, grow, and change for the glory of God. That's why I'm excited about being a member of a church, not because I'm a pastor, but because I love Jesus. So because Jesus loved his church, and because I'm convinced if Jesus himself were standing here, he would want to, he would say, I love my church. I died for my church. Those are my people. This is my family. And so why, why am I excited about the church? Because I'm excited about Jesus. And to be excited to love Jesus is to love his people to love his church. So if you're not a church, if you're not a member at Kingsway, let me encourage you, let me urge you to go to our website to sign up for the starting point. It'll be a week from Friday night, beginning at 7 right here in the building, and then again the next morning, Saturday, from 9 to noon. It'll be great to be share that time together. Mark chapter 7, look with me, beginning in verse 31. Then he, speaking of Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Every one of us lives with all manner of troubles and needs. We live in a fallen world. Start with aging, something I am increasingly familiar with. Wrinkles, aches, forgetfulness, decreasing stamina. I forget. (laughs) 
Paul said, outwardly are we are wasting away. Our aging is meant to remind us that this isn't what we were made for. Then sickness and disease. How often that touches our lives and people around us. The daughter with muscular dystrophy. The father hospitalized with a nervous breakdown. Wife diagnosed with incurable cancer. How difficult this life can be. Relational breakdowns. The wife who leaves her family. The child who manipulates through anger. The teenager in rebellion against her parents. Long-standing friends who choose not to forgive. Offended church members tearing God's people down with gossip and slander. It's not the way it was meant to be. The world wasn't created that way. And yet we all live with that as a present reality. We all live with various manifestations of brokenness and sin all around us. And so God gives us His Word and this wonderful story in particular to help us to understand that in redemption, in His great story of redemption, there will be a day that He will make all things right. And this gospel account records the coming of one whose power has broken into this present evil age. One who sacrificed himself to free his people from the power of sin and death. One who has begun the process of making all things new. In this text... The power and compassion of the Savior are on glorious display as Jesus ministers to a man hopelessly living as a deaf mute. Here we see God's salvation unfolding in the healing touch of the Son. We see the messianic power and hope on display. Sinclair Ferguson calls this passage one of the most beautiful as well as perhaps one of the most unusual of all Christ's miracles. Each one of these accounts has something profound to teach us. And I love that we can come here week after week and mine these different accounts, don't you? We can learn, we can hear what the voice of the shepherd is saying through his word. And we can see the brilliance of how this gospel reveals who this Savior is. Who is this man? And so this passage breaks down really into just three points, three big ideas we're going to consider this morning. Verses 31 and 32 speak of our desperate need. Verses 33 to 35, our powerful Savior. And verses 36 to 37, our astonished praise. 
Let's begin with our desperate need. The, the setting is the region of the Decapolis. We remember that from Mark chapter 5. When Jesus went to the Decapolis, the word literally means ten cities. It's a large Gentile area east of Palestine. Jesus went there and delivered the Gadarene demoniac. He made quite a scene. And the people, remember, were so afraid that they asked him to leave. And the demoniac who was delivered wanted to come with him. And Jesus says, no, no, you stay and tell of all the good things that the Lord has done for you. And Jesus left. And now Jesus makes a 120-mile journey from where we saw him last week, 120 miles north and then southeast, by foot, through Gentile territory, to minister to this man. And what we, what we don't have in the Gospels is so much of what Christ did. Is what Christ did and said could fill all the books in the world. But what we have is a record that, that we understand Jesus spent about a third of his ministry in Gentile areas. Jesus demonstrated for us, the, as, by his example, the necessity of reaching a lost world. And he walked, so think about being one of his disciples, he walked 120 miles over many weeks to reach this man. And his friends brought him to Jesus, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, a man with a double handicap, which was terrible, especially in ancient times. This man could not ask questions, could not hear explanations, undoubtedly could not read. So even the truths of Scripture were hidden from him. Probably many attributed his condition to demonization or his own sin. He was, to say the least, miserable and hopeless. And brothers and sisters, he is a type of us. We're meant to understand as we read this that, that, that like, like this man who cannot hear and cannot speak, we, we are hopeless apart from God's intervention in our lives. Oh, you might not have a handicap. You might not even be sick this morning. But apart from God breaking into your life, you are spiritually blind and deaf. You cannot hear or understand his word, nor would you care to do so. Every one of us shares with this man a desperate need. We are beyond help, beyond self-help. We cannot deliver ourselves. We are as unable to, to change our circumstances, to save ourselves, as this deaf and mute man was to change himself. Only another could deliver him. Only another can deliver us. And if you can hear God's word this morning... It is because God in his mercy has broken into your life. And it is something to give amazed praise for. Like this man, we cannot cure ourselves. We 
have a desperate need. We also, like this man, have a powerful Savior. Notice in the Gospels, as we're studying the Gospel of Mark or reading through Matthew, Luke, or John, that whenever Jesus ministers to a person, he ministers to him uniquely, distinctly. He doesn't have a pattern. Doesn't do it the same way. Doesn't ask him to come up in front of the crowd and, and go through a little ritual. Doesn't, doesn't always heal with a word, although sometimes he does. Doesn't always heal with a touch. Sometimes he heals from afar. Sometimes he puts his hand on a person. Sometimes he merely speaks over them. The one thing all of Christ's healings have in common is as the wonderful counselor, he knows our needs. As the wonderful counselor, he knows your need better than you do. And he always gives you what you need. He is generous and powerful. You have all that you need for life and godliness because of him. We also see in this passage that Jesus loves the crowds, but he also loves the individual. And here we see a profound example of the Savior's wisdom, care, and compassion in action. Mark has preserved here a historic account For us to marvel at the Savior's love, care, and compassion. But he's also given us an example to follow. There is much for us to learn by how Jesus interacts with this man. And and we see that in six specific ways. Mark has given us some exceptional details. He's created a detailed portrait here. Of Christ's care and love. First, we see that he took him aside. We see the Savior's care. He took him aside privately from the crowd. Now imagine this man as he grew up. Being deaf. Not being able to communicate clearly. He was always a spectacle. People stared at him. They'd say, he's, he's not right. Helen Keller compares blindness to deafness and says that deafness is worse. She says, blindness separates people from things, but deafness separates people from people. Deafness results in social pain and humiliation. People gawk the impatient stares of those who assume he's stupid. And so people say he's deaf and dumb. But people that can't hear aren't necessarily dumb. They can be very smart. They just, they just can't express themselves. They can't hear a response, so they're, they're closed up. They can't communicate. Imagine how this man grew up 
the ridicule and the pity. And so what does Jesus do? He takes him aside privately. He's not going to be a spectacle. Entering his world, Jesus' attention is personal and compassionate. He removes him from the crowd to keep him from being a public attraction. And thus he signifies something very important. Hear this. This man's not a problem, but a unique individual in need of the Savior's care. And so the Savior cares for this man. He pulls him aside. He says, this is a man created in my image. And he loves him. Not only that, but he puts his fingers in the man's ears. Now, now consider, consider how challenging this would be. This man could not hear. He could see Jesus, but he couldn't hear him. He wouldn't know what the Savior was saying. So Jesus communicates through sign language. Notice the kindness of the Savior. Jesus spoke to him in language he could understand. He placed his fingers in his ears and removed them, saying, something will be done for your ears. I am going to remove the blockage in your hearing. The wonderful counselor does not mass produce care, but uniquely responds to each person. He uses sign language and touch to express his profound love for this man. And brothers and sisters, if we are going to love others for Christ, we we must do the same. Touch. Touch is a critical part of care. It's taking time to listen, willing to be uncomfortable, willing to get our hands dirty. When Jesus healed the leper, a profound part of that exchange was Jesus touching this man who was untouchable. We're called to follow that example. Then thirdly, not only do we see the Savior's care and the Savior's touch, but this one's a little different. We see the Savior's spat. He spit on his fingers and touched the man's tongue. If there's ever an example of Jesus ministering individually, particularly to someone, it's here. And by the way, it's not an example we follow very often in case... You want prayer. We don't usually do that. But neither did Jesus. That's the point. He he wanted to show to tell this man something. I'm going to remove the blockage in your mouth. I'm going to make your tongue alive with my own life. How's he going to do that? He takes his spit and puts it on this man's tongue. And then, and then the Savior's look. 
He looks up to heaven. Don't read by that too quickly because what Jesus does here is profound. Jesus is saying, it's God alone who is able to help you. Now, if there's ever a man who didn't need to do that, it was Jesus, right? Because he is God in the flesh. It's critical that we do that. There is no faith healer on the earth who can heal. Only God can heal. There is no person here who can ever meet any of your needs. Only God can meet our needs. Whenever we pray for another person, we've always got to look up. We've always got to say, I'm going to pray, but it's God who's going to meet your needs. Uh, uh, You and I are going to stand together. We're going to look to him together. That's what prayer, prayer is coming alongside and saying, let's let's look to him. It's not not about me. I, I don't have any power to change anything, but he does. Prayer is acknowledging that I can't, but he can. Prayer is acknowledging that it's not magic, but God's grace. All true work is done by God. One man said it this way, if we would give sight to the blind, we must ourselves be gazing to heaven. That's right. So Jesus looked to heaven. And then he did something unexpected. He sighed. A deep moan from inward, from his heart. He is emotionally connecting with this man in his isolation and his alienation. He is experiencing grief and anger considering the effects of the fall. This man's condition is because of the sin of the world. And Jesus is moved by his suffering. Hear this. Jesus is expressing his love and compassion. The man's sorrows become Christ's sorrows. It's a reminder of why he came and what he came to do. To give his life as a ransom for many. To reclaim what has been lost by sin. Brothers and sisters, if we are to minister Christ's healings, it will only be because we share his compassion. His compassion and his healing are not separate from one another. Jesus was not clinical. He was not professional. He didn't just pray the prayer. Let's move on. I've prayed for a hundred people already today. Could we just get this over with? No. He sighed. He felt this man's pain. He was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to enter into this man's life. There's a hurting world with thousands of who are hurting every bit as much or more as, than this man. And you and I are called to enter into their pain as we pray for them. And so we see the Savior's care, the Savior's touch, the Savior's spit, the Savior's look, the Savior's sigh, and lastly, the Savior's command. Oh, how glorious this is. 
how glorious this is. Jesus says a single Aramaic word, Ephatha. A single Aramaic word that Mark helpfully translates for us, be opened. Imagine the power of this word. Imagine this man who hears that word, Ephatha, is the first sound to penetrate his ears. What must that have been like as the word sailed through his ears and into his brain and he heard a sound? He heard the Savior's voice. What must that have been like? To hear the Savior, Fatha, be opened. And his ears were opened. Verse 35 says his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. The Holman translation says immediately his ears were opened. At once. His speech difficulty was removed and he began to speak clearly. This was way beyond a healing, folks. This is a miracle. Not only that his ears were opened and he could hear, but immediately he learned to speak without having to go through a process of speech therapy. He's there. He's speaking clearly. The original text literally says, the chain holding his tongue was released. And he is worshiping. He's, he's, he's like a prisoner being released for the first time in his life. Imagine the joy, the words flowing from his mouth, the praise erupting from his heart. Oh, oh, we have a desperate need. And we have a powerful Savior. And the result of that, where should that take us? Well, it should take us to responding with astonished praise. That's what happened here. Look at verse 37. They were astonished beyond measure. Imagine being there and witnessing this man. This poor man who's, who's never been able to hear, can't speak properly, and suddenly... He's, he's hearing, he's dancing, he's shouting, he's praising. They're, they are astonished beyond measure. Oh, this, this is no ordinary miracle. This is glorious. And they gave praise. They gave praise. This most important verse turns our attention away from the man who is healed to the centerpiece of the gospel. From the healed to the healer. They are overwhelmed with the Savior. But let's put this in context. Jesus did many miracles. So why, why, why this one? I mean, there's no doubt we'd all be pretty excited about seeing a deaf man hear and a mute man speak, right? That's, that's good stuff. 
but astonished beyond measure. There's something going on here. What is it? Why? Why are they astonished beyond measure? We don't read that of Christ's other miracles generally. Why? What's going on? Well, remember the question of the Gospel of Mark. Who is Jesus? And the answer that we keep coming back to, his identity. That he is the Son of God. And we're getting closer and closer to that as we approach this eighth chapter. In the next chapter, Peter's going to connect all the dots. Say, you're the Christ. But here, here the people are connecting the dots. And here's why. There are two signs of messianic significance here. Two reasons that God's plan of salvation is being unfolded before them. Remember I said God's plan of salvation is unfolding in the healing touch of the Son. Here's why that is. Two two reasons. The first is what they said. They were astonished beyond measure, verse 37, saying what? He has done all things well. Now that's, that is, that's an amazing statement. And I, I love to ponder that. I spent quite a bit of time this week just pondering, Lord, you do all things well. And thinking how many examples of that I see in my own life. How many examples of that I see in your life. He does all things well. That's, that's true. That's glorious. But there's something that from a Gentile perspective, is missing. There's something that a Jew and a God-fearing Gentile would understand from that that we can miss. And that is a connection to the Old Testament. They would have made a connection here. Mark isn't using that terminology by chance. It's an echo of God's response in Genesis chapter 1 when he surveyed his works at creation. Remember in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was what? Very good. Very good. And here, Mark says, he has done all things well. There's, there's a connection. Mark is helping us to see something, that the Father did all things well in creation, and the Son does all things well in redemption. That the Son is God, demonstrating that Jesus is God, the Son, doing what only God can do. He did in redemption with the Father did in creation. All their work is perfect. He has done all things well. The Bible could be really considered in four major themes. If you think about the grand redemptive storyline of the Bible, we can take all of the Bible and place it between creation, fall, 
redemption, restoration. All of the Bible fulfills that pageantry, that plan. And here in this account, we see all four of those in action. We see creation. What God made is very good. We see the fall. A man, death, because of sin. Not, not his personal sin, but because of the sin in the world. A man, death, because of sin. In redemption, we see the miracle of healing. As Jesus heals this man and gives him ears and a tongue to speak. And we see the restoration. God's kingdom has arrived. It's arrived in the person of Christ. Jesus has broken into this present evil age. And we see in this account that God's, God's plan of salvation unfolds in his healing touch. We see as Jesus comes and he heals this man, we see something of God's purpose and his plan. Christ broke in and he healed. He brought the kingdom of the age, to, the power of the age to come to this present evil age. And brothers and sisters, here's the good news. When he resurrected from the grave, when he died for our sin and was buried, when he rose on the third day, when he ascended, he didn't take it back with him. That's good news. He didn't take it back with him. The power of the age to come remains. And so not in perfect form, not in the form that we'll see at the end of the age, But the power of God, the kingdom is present already, even though it's not yet here in full form. And so we see in the first place, he has done all things well. But then there's a second, there's a second sign. Look, look with me again in verse 37. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, again, that's an obvious statement. It's a glorious statement. But it meant something to these people. Maybe it didn't mean to you the first time you read it. The word mute is used two times in all of the Greek Bible. Two times. It's a rare word. It's used two times. It's used here and it's used in Isaiah 35. So when Mark uses this particular word, mute, the people that he's speaking to understand that he is speaking about a prophecy, referring to a prophecy written centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, where God gave a message of hope to his covenant people through the prophet Isaiah looking beyond the destruction and desolation of his time, he looked to the future, he looked to the day of the Lord, when the kingdom of God would break in through the Messiah, who is about to bring radical change to the earth. He knew that there was something particular that would happen when the mute could speak. 
Look at, let me just read for you Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, there's that word, the tongue of the mute, sing for joy. In other words, he's using the same word there as in Mark chapter 7, verse 37. The deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark is helping us to see that Jesus, the restoration of speech through Jesus, signals the arrival of the day of the Lord. That, that his coming, that, that one of the signs of the coming Messiah is the mute are going to speak. And this connection provides such hope because it, it helps these folks understand that this one who's come, this one who's here, he's the Messiah. That's why there's astonished praise. He's not just doing this work. He is the Messiah who we've awaited for centuries and centuries. The promised fulfillment of Isaiah has come. Your God is, is, has come to save you. And they're astonished because the one who's done all things well is going to make all things right. Do you see how exciting that is? And folks, think about this. When Jesus heals people such as this deaf man, we tend to view these miracles as interruptions of the natural order. We're so used to sickness, disease, blindness, and deafness as part of life, as part of the the way things are, that we, we've accepted that as part of the natural order, but they are not. The Scripture is clear that there is one coming who's going to make all things new. He's going to make all things right. And so miracles, now hear this, miracles are not an interruption of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. Miracles simply restore things to the way they were supposed to be and the way things always will be. That's why when Jesus' power broke in, when God's salvation unfolded in his healing touch, that's why this is such a powerful statement and one that created such delight in people. Notice how they responded. Verse 36. Jesus charged them to tell no one. In other words, Jesus didn't want to have a reputation as a faith healer. He wasn't looking just to, to heal tons of people. He, he came for a different reason. But he says, the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. He says, don't talk. And they're telling it more zealously. They were all astonished beyond measure. Imagine this man. He's, he's, he can't hear. And now he can hear. He can't speak. But now he can speak. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. What? How can I not tell? How can I not tell everybody? Oh, Jesus, I, I can't. 
I can't keep this to myself. And he was telling and they were celebrating and they recognized that in this healing that they saw and understood that the Messiah had come to rescue them, to save them, to cleanse them, to make all things right. Oh, they rejoiced. And that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 35. Look at this again. Then shall the lame man leap like the deer. See the excitement? Remember the, the man at the gate called Beautiful that was healed from his lameness and he just jumped up and began to shout and dance. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What's he saying? At the end of the age, when the Lord returns, he will bring about a radical change in the world. Just as the desert is changed from parched land to a place of blessing, so God's people will be changed. The mute will shout. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. And God's people will celebrate. Now, let's be clear. We don't live in the fullness of that. We're in the already, but not yet. We enjoy God's healing power. We enjoy his deliverance, but not in full measure. But there will come a day. There will come a day that we'll receive it all. And what we receive today is a, is a taste. It's like, like going to a, a nice restaurant and having an appetizer. And you think, oh, the meal's going to be great. Oh, well, this is a taste. What we enjoy today is a taste, but it's meant to, to remind us that the best is yet to come. It's meant to give us cause for faith and joy and celebration. And, and that's what we must do. God's people must rejoice. Singing to Him is a response of the wonder of salvation. When God opens a man's ears, He frees His tongue to sing for joy. If your ears have been opened... Oh, you, you should be singing for joy. We forget what it's like to live with no hearing. God's reminding us today of what he's given us. Maybe as you're here this morning, you're aware that you haven't ever turned from your sins and trusted in the Savior. You're still living in that kind of place of deafness. And God wants to give you a new tongue. And new hearing. And he invites you. He invites you to turn from your sin. And to trust in the one who died for you. To make him the center of your life. Oh, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you. I want to plead with you to do that this morning. Because there, there is great joy and rejoicing. There is astonished praise. When God opens a man's ears. If you're a Christian, you should be no less astonished than this man. Because you have been delivered from spiritual deafness. At some point in time, God opened your ears so that you could hear. 
We have, brothers and sisters, a desperate need. But we have a powerful Savior. And we have reason for astonished praise. And that's what we're going to end this morning with astonished praise. We're going to give thanks to Him. We're going to worship Him with a song that, that 300 years ago Charles Wesley wrote, wonderfully capturing the heart of this text. Many of you are familiar with this song, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His praise. Would you stand with me and let's just prepare to give God the astonished praise that he deserves. Father, this morning we, we just want to say first of all, thank you that though we have a desperate need, that we have a powerful Savior. Lord, we, where would we be? Without you, what hope would we have without you? But you have broken in and given us new life. And for that, Lord, we, for that we have astonished praise as a response. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that though we were born dead in our sin, that you loved us and made us alive. And so we bring glory to you and we thank you. We honor you. And we pray that as we sing this song, that it would be a reflection of genuine, full, astonished praise for which you are worthy. In Christ's name, amen.